The Kibitz is sponsored by the Emanuel J. Friedman Philanthropies. We thank them for their ongoing support. Welcome to The Kibitz. I'm your host, Dan Crane. On our last episode, we asked listeners to send in stories about their Hebrew school experience, and someone actually wrote, so I wanted to read her email before we got on to this episode. Uh, Her name's Karen Ehrlichman, and the subject line of her email was, I loved Hebrew school. Hi, Dan. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I just listened to your most recent episode about Hebrew school and thought I'd share a bit of my story. I was a kid who loved Hebrew school, but I knew that my peers would think I was exceedingly uncool, so I kept my joy hidden from others. Yes, the curriculum was exceedingly flawed in all the ways you described on your show. Dogmatic, one-dimensional, what I call, quote, Judaism from the neck up. But somehow I felt deeply connected with Torah, with God, with the rhythm of the Jewish calendar, the music, the food, the liturgy. I vividly remember the sensory experience of the smell of dried figs and dates on Tubishvat. I used to arrive an hour or more early when attending services so I could sit in the back of the sanctuary and meditate on the Ner Tamid. Because I grew up in a totally secular, unaffiliated family, my mystical experience of Judaism, religiously, culturally, and spiritually, was completely personal and private. I would come home on Friday nights and say, It's Shabbat! Where's the chicken soup? Where's the challah? Where are the candles? And somehow, my family ended up having Friday night Shabbat at home for a few years. It was the B'nai Mitzvah experience that killed it for me. And I loved your episode about B'nai Mitzvahs a while back. Oy, I could tell you some stories. To make a long story short, I found my way back to Judaism years later and ended up becoming a Jewish spiritual director. All right. Well, thanks, Karen. That was an amazing email. And uh, thanks for letting me read it on our podcast. And now here we go with episode 13 of The Kibitz. At a recent Shabbat in Los Angeles, some friends and I sat around after dinner and a few questions were floated to the group. These questions were taken from 10Q, a project inspired by the traditional 10 days of reflection that occur between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a period of time that's long been considered an opportunity to look at where you're at, where you've come from, and where you're heading. The hosts of this particular Shabbat had just gotten married a few weeks prior, and I was about to get married the following weekend. So it was a great way for me to personally reflect on this incredibly significant life event that was about to happen. Also to practice my speech-giving skills. The reflection was helpful and and interesting, and I'm told I nailed my wedding speech. And as I did just get married, just five days before I wrote and recorded this intro, I must admit my brain is completely fried. So I'm going to keep this intro short, but I'll say this. It was an incredible wedding in our backyard in Echo Park, surrounded by friends and family from around the world, and And one of my favorite moments was when my wife, who's from London and not Jewish, shouted from her chair above the crowd while doing the hora, this is the best thing ever. Now I'm looking forward to doing 10Q, and we'll talk more about what this is throughout the episode, and taking this time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to reflect on everything that's happened in the past year. Oi, what a crazy year! On this episode, we've got Kasher versus Kasher, one of the originators of 10Q, Nicola Behrman, and conversations with a few people who have used 10Q, Jen Mayer and her partner Raleigh Harrell, as well as Libby Lenkinski. 
So sit back, relax, and get ready to reflect upon this episode of The Kibitz. David Kasher is a rabbi. His brother Moshe Kasher is a comedian. Together, they'll discuss the High Holidays and 10Q. This is Kasher versus Kasher. All right, so the uh, the high hoes are coming up as I just uh, somebody. Oh somebody my god! So I'm not the only one. This is supposed to be the spiritual. That's what's up, Dan? I loved it. I give it a nine out of ten. <laughs> I didn't even make that up. Um, so what are the? There's like this ten days of repentance. What is that all about? Yeah, well the the days are the days between Rosh Hashanah, right. which we call the New Year, the Jewish New Year, and um, Yom Kippur, which is ten days later. So. Um, in the Torah, it's actually not so clear what Rosh Hashanah is. It's not even called the New Year. It's just like a day when you blow the shofar. Like not, not not much explanation. But it is very clear what Yom Kippur is. Yom Kippur is a day of atonement where you're forgiven for your sins. So I think of it as at one ment. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I think we can just go home right here. Um, but, oh, God. But, um, no, but because Yom Kippur is so well-defined, so we end up connecting Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur and saying, oh, this must be a block of time when you're meant to do the repentance that that leads to for the forgiveness of Yom Kippur. So it ends up becoming this period, this classical period of reflection and um, forgiveness seeking and just sort of like sort of self-purification. I will say that I, as a not that religious Jew, find the high holidays and this particular aspect of it like extremely useful for interpersonal growth. Like I, I find it like that laced into the rhythmic calendar of Judaism is a period of reflection on the mistakes you made and the improvements you would like to make to be so nice and refreshing. And I, I have almost no respect for people that uh, that who probably are listening right now who are like, I hate the high holidays because it's so focused on negativity and I don't need to focus on that. I'm like, is every... I've never, I'm like, I got real deep darkness. You know, it's like you got every aspect of your life is so positive that you can't focus on the mistakes you've made in the year. It's in fact not punitive. It's the opposite of punitive for me. It's like, oh, so if I face and be rid of the things that I want to improve, I have within a spiritual framework a bridge to self-improvement. It feels very good as opposed to just like having a low-grade buzz of my character flaws. If I really like dive into the pit then I can be, like, forgiven, whatever that is. I'm doing quote marks. You can't see them on the radio. I can be, like, washed of them. Or at least I can be like, okay, I accept those parts of myself, and from this day forward, I'm not defined by them. Yeah, there's definitely been a parallel drawn between Catholics and the way they go to confession and and sort of Yom Kippur is this way of, like, absolving oneself of of the you know, yeah, but, in, but it's very... so hugely different. It's so hugely different in what I'm saying. It's like Catholics, you go to confession all of the time. You are in a perpetual state of sinfulness. And Judaism, once a year in October, you go, hmm, what have I done this year? Okay, cool. And then you say you're like good for the year. You know. Well, yeah. I do think that there's like look, there's differences between the two traditions, but I do think that this process of atonement um, that we refer to as tshuva. Um, in in the Jewish tradition, it it becomes a value that is cel- is really celebrated, put really at the at the center of Jewish theology, so that to a certain extent you can be thinking about um, repentance all year long. 
But I think, um, you know, this is like the obvious rabbi thing to say. You'll, you'll often hear rabbis say that the word tshuva actually literally means return. So it, isn't, it doesn't have that English connotation of repentance, but a kind of a, a return to some ideal, like a place that you were to get back to, to what you're striving for. The, 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 some people will say like your truest self, but mm. whatever, to return to sort of the, the line that you've been trying to walk. And that, that's just, aren't we always trying to do that? Aren't we always trying to kind of, I mean, there's, you know, I think Moshe's right to say that on the one hand, we live in this culture that, like, that, that is very kind of like happiness-centered and positivity-centered. But on the other hand, every, there's so much self-help. Like everybody's trying to, to get, you know, to get them their, their state of being like better. And the, the, these are the ancient forms for that. Yeah, and the, we're not the only people that have benefited from it. In fact, the early tra- um, Transcontinental Railroad, they used to celebrate the high holidays. Do you know about this? And they would do their uh, own uh, form uh, of uh oh what they would do their own form of tuva that they referred to as oh, no I can chu tuva <laughs> <laughs> oh we are having a great time there's this thing that I I point out when this happens where like uh. Moshe has to te- be funny for a living and so when he's not getting paid he's like guess how not funny I can be that's just like it it's funny. a it's a way of kind of of releasing the sort of all the bad jokes that he doesn't yeah. tell on stage mm-hmm. yeah. are you not getting paid for this I thought no. oh I don't believe so it's a Jewish podcast let's get real with each other uh. I mean but it's interesting the 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 stark contrast between Rosh Hashanah which is all about kind of the the sweetness of life and the and the honey and the and and the apples and the this kind of celebration with the sort of like Yom Kippur feels very heavy. I mean, that's like yeah. what I guess people complain about. You know, I know what you're it. talking about, but I, I would I would almost say it's the exact opposite. I mean, it's always complicated. Like all the Jewish holidays have collected different themes over the years. So Rosh Hashanah has its kind of like its happy aspect, like Happy New Year and all that. But there's the 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 the, the most classical formulation is that. On Rosh Hashanah, you're judged. That is, there's some evaluation taken of your year. And then you have 10 days to sort of work on that. And on Yom Kippur, you're for, forgiven for that. And, and how do so, you know? How do you know you've been forgiven? You didn't die. Straight yeah. up, that's the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the whole thing is like, he's sealing the book of life. God, it's just such a terrible image of God up in heaven. Like, John <laughs> Jones is going to die this year, but Moshe Kasher is going to make it for another 365. But it is true. Like, he's, he's inscribing your name into the book of life. And so the very notion that you made it means that you're forgiven right yeah yeah to a certain extent that's true that's interesting I, I, I or at least you know in the coming year once you make it through that it that it worked the idea is that you'll you'll be judged on what on what the, the coming year will look like is it just that you acknowledged what you did wrong or what okay you- so 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 no it's more than that it's important actually there's a there's a very sort of classic distinction between forms of of atonement and the acknowledgement and the confession that works for kind of things you did to God, like, you know, religious transgressions, like you, I don't know, ate a cheeseburger or something. Ooh, I, I, I know you did, Danny. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Whatever. Like, just <laughs> no, to use you the did. <laughs> um, that that you, you acknowledge and you ask for forgiveness. I, I, whatever, some other example where it's about God. It's about uh, some offense to your religion. But the sins that you've done to other people, you cannot be forgiven, even by God, unless you've gotten 
uh, absolved from them. So unless you've gone to them and acknowledged what you've done and asked for forgiveness and been forgiven. You can't be forgiven just by in your heart being like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. God will forgive me. That's, it's, very, it's very important that, um, that for the, the interpersonal sins, we have to confront one another. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds dour, but it's actually kind of like great, right? It's like the opposite of a deathbed confession. You yeah. know, it's like, oh yeah, well, I did, I did kill all those kids, but uh, sorry, God, <laughs> you know, I'm in heaven now. You have to go to That's your, right. you can't get away with that. You have to go yeah. to your wife and and say, hey, wife, I've harmed you. I'm sorry, and not just be like, she'll she'll get it. God will take care of it. Right? Yeah, and and there's this idea that you can be forgiven for anything. Like chuva return is always possible, but but it's 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 more than just saying sorry. It's actually like repairing the wrong that you've done in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, and uh, you probably know about the Ten Q project. I yeah. Assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about it or what? Do, you know, have you utilized it at all, or do you know? I, th- what I don't I think, know what uh, it is. So I, I think it's it, it's a project of reboot where they basically took the concept of reflection and atonement and and boiled it down to you know ten questions that you could think about uh, to reflect on your year and use as a, a mechanism for sort of a shorthand for thinking about this journey between. Um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. What are the cues? What did you like? One example would be uh, describe one thing you'd like to achieve by this time next year. Oh, there are ten questions. No, the ten, sorry, ten questions, mm-hmm. and you get you get one per day. Um, per ten, you know, between yeah. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then uh, then the the answers that you write will be sent back to you the following year. So oh, that's you can interesting. Kind of reflect on them. That's cool. I'm with Mosh in that I, I just oh, I, like I don't understand. How you could not appreciate this idea that you designate ten days of your year to just like think about where you've been and where you want to go. I mean, it just seems so useful and so human. And you know, this this ten Q project is a way of kind of making it m- just accessible and kind of you know and 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 real. I, I actually think that that th- that you need some mechanism for for actualizing in your life. And Moshe was saying as a, as a not that religious person that he does appreciate this as a religious person, I actually think sometimes we have the opposite problem where we just sort Mm. of, we go to synagogue and we, you know, eat the, the apples and honey. We do all the rituals, but sometimes you can, you can forget that the core experience of it is this deep inner personal Mm. reflection. And you you guys do it too much almost. Yeah. Like you can pass through the, the, the trappings of the holidays without Mm. actually getting to the core of it. Right. Cause David as a religious Orthodox Jew has like, how many fast days a year do you do? Uh, well, altogether, there's seven. Right. I, I do only Yom Kippur. So for me, it's profoundly uncomfortable and profoundly like affecting. And so I'm forced to go to reckon with my body and go like, I'm in a different state. That's the idea of fasting, right? It's like you're in a different state, not so that you, it's actually not about making yourself suffer, right? It's about making yourself like, like snap out of it and and snap into this like reflection Hmm. of like, what do I want? What do I, I think that 10Q thing sounds really cool because not only can you reflect on what you want to change, you can also reflect on what you have, what you have changed. I want to say just on the topic of fasting, I want to say something a little bit more um, controversial, which is, you know, Moshe and I have both been saying, hey, self-reflection, bettering yourself, who wouldn't love that? I actually want to also suggest that even something that I think most moderns don't relate to so well, this idea of self-affliction has a, a value. That that I at least, I, you know, 
I almost want to say I enjoy fasting. Now, I don't enjoy it. The whole point is that you're, you're not enjoying it, that you, you punish yourself a little bit. But by the end, you know, by the end of a 24-hour Yom Kippur fast, it does kind of push you to this, this uh, altered state of, mo- of consciousness. And there's a way in which kind of pushing yourself a little, being a little uncomfortable. Moshe mentions Burning Man. This is, that's part of that experience as well. There's all oh, kinds of— Oh, how things have changed. <laughs> but there's all <laughs> kinds of spiritual experiences where people kind yeah. of force their bodies and, and, and into a kind of an extreme state. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's because we want to detach from just this experience that we're mostly in of just— you know, eating when we're hungry, satisfying our every need, going to sleep when we're tired. And, uh, and that's great. And that's the state we should usually be in. But every once in a while, we have to remember that, you know, the comfort of that can be a kind of um, a kind of uh, lack of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and we can tap ourselves into some 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 higher consciousness sometimes by pushing ourselves, you know, in, in an extreme way. And P.S., how many – what percentage of non-religious Jews who do celebrate Yom Kippur in whatever way basically – observe it with zero attention to self-reflection. I mean, the percentage of Jews that celebrate Yom Kippur, I don't know, let's say it's 20%. Of that, how many of them are going to shul like, oh, I fasted and I'm reading the book and I go to shul for a couple hours. Just It's a perfunctory sort of uh, sort of engagement with r- this ritual, that ritual, and then leave going like, I didn't feel anything. It's just like, of course, no wonder. Like, it'd be better to not fast and to go to shul and like go into a profound self-reflection. By the way, most of the time I don't do this, but every year on Yom Kippur I get to this one state where I'm going, yes, I think about this thing I did, this thing I did, I want to change this thing about myself, and I have a real, I have a real experience. You know, and not only is does Moshe say that, but the, the actually famously the prophet Isaiah says something very similar. At the we end have of, a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the book of Isaiah, and this is a, something we read on Yom Kippur. Um, Isaiah says, you know, I see you people and you're going through the motions and you're like, you're dressing up in in shabby clothes and fasting. But is this what I call a fast? Is this what God wants from you is to just, just punish yourselves? If you, you, the the fast I'm looking for is one that prompts you to go out and tend to the poor and take care of each other Mm. and make a better world. That's the, that's the real essence of it. If you're if you're fasting and not and not doing that stuff, and if it's not prompting prompting you to do that stuff, then that's not even really a fast. That's God's not interested in, in just self punishment. So when I say affliction has a value, it isn't just because just for its own sake. It's so that you are changed as a person. You go out and change change the world. Mm. Wow! Boom! 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 Nailed it! All right, thanks, guys. This has been great, and uh, happy uh, happy high holidays to you. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Nicola Behrman is a playwright, energy alchemist, and spiritual counselor. She's also one of the founders of 10Q. So how did you come up with the whole 10Q idea, and where did that where did it originate? And- so I was invited to Reboot, and my grandma had recently died. And I had this really interesting experience when she died that... I was in her bungalow in England after the funeral and I had this really like desperate desire to find a letter from her. Like literally, like I thought there would be something, like it would be like Brewster's Millions, like the, not that there would be a video, but there would be something that she left for us after she died. Yeah. So I could just hear her voice again, I think. And I was like, we were going through all her things and like clearing stuff out. 
And clearly there was no letter, but I found a day planner in her like makeup desk from the 1960s. And it, I opened it and it just, I just saw one entry that said Susan dentist and Susan is my mum, And obviously she was just going to the dentist that day. And it was a re- a strangely meaningful experience to see my grandma's handwriting when she wasn't alive anymore. Right. And I went home that night and I Googled her and this is before Facebook because it was new 10 years ago and nothing came up. And I just had this weird sensation of this amazing woman that was such a big part of our lives. There's like no written record of her. Huh. And it just, it hit me really hard. And I started learning about this thing called an ethical will, which is a Jewish tradition and it's in the Torah and it also pops up in lots of other religions too. Have you heard of it? I haven't. No. Right. So you, in addition to writing a last will and testament, yeah. it's like a last will and testament of the soul. So you are leaving behind messages for people that you love. And there are some amazing, amazing ethical wills from all the different centuries that give you such a flavor of who people were, what people were like at the time, the things that people share with their family members, with their children. Mm. It's really profound and, and it feels to me really, really important. It just, it was on my mind. Like it was on my mind as something I really wanted to help create. So at Reboot, you know, they have this thing called Open Circle where you just get up in a room of 70 people you don't know and you just talk about something that you would like to talk about. So I talked about my grandma and the le- the scheduler and Susan Dentist, and we convened this session. And I met Ben Greenman, who has a similar fascination with history and words and just kind of sharing of ourselves in a way, and also documenting like who we are as people. And we had this whole conversation about it. And then we had lunch with a few people and you can just, you can feel like you can feel when an idea has some kind of traction. Mm. And he and I just kept talking about it and kept talking about it. It just went from there and it just became really clear that to do it as a 10 day period during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, when that's what the basis of this holiday period is about, like reflection, taking a moment to stop and, and look at your lives. What an amazing thing it would be to create something where every year, you answer the same 10 questions and then they get sent to a vault. Like you just hit a magic button and they go off to a vault where we look after them for a year. Yeah. And then they get sent back to you next year. And if you want, it's completely private. Like we'll never see it. Some of my friends still don't believe that we do not have access to the yeah. private ones. We don't. Um, but, or you can have it public you could have an anonymous public or accredited public. So we now have, it's kind of crazy. We have a library online of anyone who made their answers public over the last nine years, eight years. It now exists in the 10Q vault. So I feel like in a hundred years time, like if, if technology still exists the way it exists, we have a very, very real illustration of what it is to be human during this time. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of even more amazing than we hoped or anticipated in the beginning when we realized like what actually exists. Right. And we realized from the first year, people are so honest. Like it is, it's humbling to read the entries that people share because they're uncensored. There's something about 
the questions and the box that people answer as if they're answering in their journals and they're not answering like they're on Facebook. They're not answering like they're trying to pretend that they're someone that they're not. They are just completely truthful. Mm. And it is to witness people in their authenticity is, is, is a profound gift, I think, to anyone who gets to read it. Yeah. I mean, have you been kind of, were you surprised by how it took off? And, and Yes. We, I'm a dreamer, so I always think things are going to be a great success. But it was very quick. Like we, I mean, we literally put it together the first time in a few weeks and we sent an email just to the Reboot Network just to say, will you try it out? And I think we hoped that we would get like 50 people from Reboot doing it. And people always say this, like, I just sent it to my friends and they shared it with everyone and it was this big success. But it literally was that, like there was no marketing, no nothing. We didn't send it to anyone outside the Reboot network. And a thousand people ended up doing it the first year, including, and I feel like this is the part I feel most proud of, like religious Christians in the South, like it... It's inspired so, like, completely from a Jewish tradition. Yeah. It happens during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And we have, the way that it's done with the questions, you can believe in God, you cannot believe in God. Like, whoever you are, this is accessible to you. Yeah. And you can have the kind of religious or not religious experience with it that you like. And it really, like, it feels like a great success to be able to create something that is accessible to pretty much anyone yeah and that they are taking on and, and that they're using it yeah I, I um i haven't used it yet i've signed up for this year i'm gonna yes. I'll, be my first time this year <laughs> but it is interesting how there's very little on the um on the website about it's sort of the jewishness of it i mean you kind of allude to the fact that it's happening between the the high holidays but that's kind of it um and yeah, so I think it's interesting, like, d- how much does, do you feel like Jewishness plays into um, the the responses you get, or the or at least the ones you've seen publicly? It's, it's so interesting, like, it's clear, and since then, like, over the past few years, like, it's so something that synagogues really love to take on or like Jewish groups love to take on. So when you're, when you look in the library, there's definitely a lot of answers that are from people that are clearly Jewish. Yeah. But then there's also a lot of answers that are not. There was a woman who used it in prisons, like with a, with a group of prisoners. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure some of them might have been Jewish. A lot of them might not have been Jewish. It's like, it's been adopted by people who are, of a religious nature and then, and then also people that aren't. Right. And it's funny cause I don't want to spoil it cause you're doing it for the first time, but there is one question in there that, that invites people to step forward to share about something that is possibly religious in nature if they want to. And the answers are phenomenal because, because there is such a wide range and a hilarious range of what the response is to it. Yeah. I won't say anymore because you're okay. going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, I want to say to people, because there is, there's always a barrier of entry to stuff relating to reflection. Like people kind of can't be bothered. They're a bit inspired. 
there's resistance because we want it to be really good. Like if we're putting something down and it's going in a vault and we're going to read it next year, we want it sometimes to be a masterpiece. Yeah. And I want to say to people, you could put your shopping list from today in that box and next year that will be fascinating to you. Yeah. You can say, I woke up this morning, I didn't do very much. And next year it will ding something for you that is profound because it's your next year's self having an opportunity to visit with your last year's self. And yeah. that's a meaningful experience regardless of, of what it says. Right. And can you look back, if you've been doing it for a decade, can mm-hmm. you look back at the very beginning as well? In your in your personal page on 10Q, I mean, it's so funny to think that we created this before technology was like what it is today. Yeah. Like Facebook, when we, because we're going into the ninth year, so... Facebook was present. Like, I think I had an account, maybe. Yeah. But it wasn't what it is now. And you can see it. Like, the website is still the website we created nine years ago. Hopefully next year we will we'll make it a <laughs> little bit. It up. Exactly. <laughs> but you, you, like, go to the top of your personal page and you can look at every year's answers. Like, right. they're all there just in a long list. And, oh, and so have you had any, you know, any kind of favorite or memorable responses the, that you can recall? Um, we had one, I mean, there've been so many over the years, but we had one woman from Texas who emailed us to say that her, she had grown children and she and her husband were in Texas and they decided to do this thing as a family where they would answer all the questions and each night in a conference call, I think they had two boys, they would get together on the conference call and they would talk about their answers. Hmm. And she said that they'd been going to synagogue like every year, I think of their lives and when their children were home. And she said it was the most meaningful Rosh Hashanah that they had ever, ever had, even though they weren't together in person. Right. And it, it's when you hear stories like that about something that you've helped create and you realize that people within their own family structure that they get to see or not see have created an experience that was more meaningful than the regular way of experiencing it. Yeah. There's, I live for those moments, truthfully. Yeah. One of the things I loved, I remember, I think Rabbi Sharon Browse talks about this, that one of the reasons we fast on Yom Kippur is to prepare for our deaths, to, to get into a state of mind or a fragility where we're not nourished so we can tap in to the remembrance that we will all die at some point. Every yeah. single person walking this earth will die. And by coming close to that feeling or simulating that feeling in some way, we get to say, oh my gosh, my life is finite. What do I want to do with it? How do I want to live it? What do I want it to look like? And they often say that the day after Yom Kippur is really the important day because that's the day that we get to say we've taken stock and now I want to live this year like this instead. And I feel like with 10Q, particularly because it closes a couple of days after Yom Kippur, we get this opportunity to really do that work, write about it, send it to the vault and really invite ourselves to do something differently or more meaningful if we want to this year. And I feel like, I mean, this is a little bit of a grand statement, but I feel like people who do 10Q 
when they get to their deathbeds, whenever that is, the shock or the the internal transition that happens during those moments when we look back and we say, like, how how did we live? Did we live authentically as mm-hmm. ourselves? Will not be as huge because they've taken those moments and they've taken those moments hopefully every year and invited themselves to step into more authenticity for themselves. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming by and kibitzing with us. Yay. And happy 10Q to you. And happy 10Q to you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Jen Mayer is a creative director at Omada Health in San Francisco. Her partner, Raleigh Harrell, is an acupuncturist as well as a healthcare experience designer. The couple knew each other for 10 years, but only pulled the trigger on a real relationship about a year and a half ago, which Jen says, quote, involved a lot of stress and drama for both of us, end quote. Also, Raleigh isn't Jewish, so the whole idea of 10Q was new to her. Here's what they had to say about it. Welcome to the Kibitz. Um, thanks for joining me. Um, so I want to talk about 10Q. It sounds like you guys did it uh, together last year. Is that right? Yeah, we did. It was uh, it was my first year doing it, and I invited Raleigh to participate with me. And we did it by coastal, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's true. We were living apart at the time, and um, it was right before she was going to be moving out here. So we were kind of there's a lot of change happening, and a lot of definitely a lot of stuff to reflect on. Oh, wow. And so you each did it, you sort of, did you do it separately and then share it with each other or how did you do it? It was a separate endeavor, but what's going to be interesting is sharing it, I think coming up because we were both going through change, but it was like, from you know, from different perspectives, uh, I was moving here and going through a lot of like the finalizing my life back in North Carolina and then you had your stuff going on here in California. Yeah, there's all sorts of craziness happening. So we, you know, we sort of checked in with each other each day. Like, did you do your question? You know, kind of what's going on. But I don't think we explicitly shared what the content was. So I'm really excited to get it back this year oh, and wow. see how much it's Yeah. That's interesting. I so had completely it's... forgotten about it. Oh, really? And so when, until, uh, until Jen asked you to do until this Jen podcast. Brought it, <laughs> until Jen brought it up to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see what's in there because there's no telling what was going on in my head at that time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm excited to see the release of the answers. And so, and what about just the kind of the experience of doing it? What did you, you know, what did you think of the experience of doing it? I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a really fantastic prompt to actually force myself to reflect. Because it's like if, you, if you're just like, hey, here's a moment where you need to reflect, you can sit there and kind of fake yourself into thinking that you're doing some deep thinking and you, you think about it for a couple of minutes and then move on. But having that forcing function of a question a day and having something really specific helped me think through a lot of stuff in a different way than I think I would have on my own. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What yeah, I, I agree. I I just want to yeah, piggyback off what she said. I think for me, it was a great pause in my day. And I know when I get back, it's going to be interesting probably to see my writing. And I know that I was, that I was in a very ramped up time in my life. So I think the, that the, there's going to be a sense of hurriedness in my answers. But no matter what, I think it's, it's just a really important time to pause, reflect, and 
to see that there was some intention behind writing mm-hmm. versus it being an afterthought. Yeah. Cool. And so are you guys going to do it again this year or is that, are you planning on doing it? Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I almost feel like, I almost feel like this year is kind of a gift because in all honesty, last year was such a shit show that like I was in like such just a, a bad place kind of when I was answering a lot of the questions Yeah. and now things feel so much clearer that I, it feels like, um, it's going to be like, I'm really happy to see how far I've come and to sort of be able to answer differently this year. Well, yeah, that's cool. I guess it sort of gives you a very easy, uh, watermark by which to, um, to measure your own progress. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Cool. Well, I wish you both luck on your next uh, 10Q uh, set of answers. And um, yeah, thanks for taking the time to uh, just to, to give a brief chat about 10Q. Yay, cool. Good yeah. talking to you. Libby Lenkinski is the VP of Public Engagement at the New Israel Fund. All right, welcome, uh, Libby, and thanks for joining us on the Kibitz. Uh, I wanted to ask about. I know you're a f- kind of a regular user of 10Q. When did you first do 10Q? Um, the first year that I did 10Q was the first year that I was living in the United States. So that was about this time of year, four years ago. Wow, and you were in Israel before that? Yes, yeah, so I was in Israel for about 10 years before that, um, where I did almost nothing religious uh, or spiritual with my time. But when I moved back to the U.S., I started looking at the hip new things that were happening in the Jewish community, and somehow 10Q found me. And so it was one of the first things that I actually did Jewishly when I moved back. Wow. that's I guess you would call that irony, that you were in Israel that whole time and didn't do anything religious, and uh, and then you came back to the U.S. and started doing religious things. So were you... So what? tell me about your first experience. Were you surprised by its effect on you or, or, you know, how did you feel about it? Well, the first year um, I just sort of, you know, clicked on the link and it was only after the fact that I realized how connected the practice of 10Q really is to the high holidays. So, you know, it asks you a different question and you have to take a few minutes to reflect on that question and put your answer in every day of the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And that's actually what you're supposed to be doing during that time, Jewishly anyway. You're supposed to be reflecting. That's what this time of year is for. Um, But 10Q is, you know, this online tool. So, uh, you know, it just feels like a cute, fun, almost like a BuzzFeed quiz. Um, (laughs) But afterwards, I realized, hey, I was just actually reflecting on some really important things. And so I kind of did my due for this high holiday season. and then it's only the next year that you realize that you it's like a it's a it's a time capsule so you actually get to see what you wrote last year <laughs> um at this time of year again so i'm really looking forward to next week when i get to see what i wrote last year cuz i really have no idea and i do not remember so wow yeah it's weird how you can write stuff like that down and just have no recollection of what you what you said um so you you will be doing it again this year yeah it's become sort of part of my high holiday uh, season. And, um, and what I've found actually is that, um, I don't remember what I wrote last year, but when I see it, I realize that there's like common themes, you know, we're not kids anymore. We're not in school. And so year to year, um, 
the same kinds of reflections come up over and over again. And it's not that, you know, that we're not evolving and that I'm not actually, you know, solving some of the questions that I'm asking, but it's like these general themes start to emerge. And I realized through those, you know, through those themes that, you know, these are the themes. These are the questions I will always be asking and reflecting on at this time of year. Yeah. Do you have a, is there a favorite one of the, kind of the, the questions do, do stay the same, uh, every year. So is there one that you particularly love or, or don't love for that matter? I, the, uh, the truth is, I don't think I remember individual questions, but I do know that, you know, for some people, this kind of reflection is like a pull towards thinking about their own mortality. Mm. And for me, it really isn't like, for me, it's always felt very living. It's about, you know, who are the people that you need to say something to this year that, like maybe if you don't stop and think about it, you won't remember to say that thing. It, it can be an apology, which is sort of the classic Yom Kippur ritual. Mm. But there's other things. And in the 10Q, they ask you about um, they, the big they, <laughs> the big they that writes it yeah. asks you about um, you know other kinds of things that you would want to say to someone. Um, and who are those people and what are those things? And that kind of more social, more living, more real life piece is the part that really speaks to me. Nice. Well, I'm uh, I'm about to get cracking on my own my first uh, attempt at 10Q pretty soon, so I'm looking forward to it. And um, thanks for sharing your experience with it on the kibitz. Thank you, Dan. All right, that is it for this episode of the kibitz. If you liked it, please rate and review us on iTunes and spread the word. Send feedback to me at kibitzpod at gmail.com or tweet us at kibitzpod. And please give us a like on Facebook. You can follow me at Dan Crane here. I'd like to thank our guests, Kasher Brothers, Sasha Behrman, Jen Mayer, Raleigh Harrell, and Libby Lenkinski. For more from Moshe Kasher, go to moshekasher.com. And check out Rabbi David Kasher's brilliant podcast at parshanut.com. To sign up for 10Q, go to you 10 q that's D-O-Y-O-U, the number 10, Q, dot com. Sasha Behrman's website is 7-Ohm.com. This episode was produced and edited by me, Dan Crane, with help from Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, and David Jargowski. Additional engineering by Brett Morris. Special thanks to David Katznelson, Francine Hermelin, Earwolf, and as always, Reboot. Music was provided by my current band, Ray and Remora. Our new album is available now. Check it out on uh, iTunes and Amazon or online at rayandremora.com. As well as my old band, Nous Non Plus. And as my great-grandmother used to say, That's the way it is in a small town with a large population. Thanks for listening to The Kibitz. The Kibitz.